James chapter (laughs) 5. Again, if you're visiting, I don't know whether I should apologize or not, but this has um, just been one of those mornings here. We're glad that you're here. We really uh, and truly are. Um, would appreciate your prayers this week. I head to the Dominican Republic on Wednesday. I'm going to be speaking at a conference there um, with uh, my friend Dana Gresh, who has a ministry called Secret Keeper Girls, and they travel all over the country and speak about purity to, uh, to young teen girls. But we're going to go down there and do something a little different. We're going to go and speak to men. Uh, because have you thought about it? I, you know, it's true that the, the trafficking business could be put to a stop if men would be men. And so we're going to go speak to a bunch of, uh, of Christian men and non-Christian men in the Dominican Republic for a few days about what it means to be a man and what it means to respect your wife and your daughters. And uh, so I'll be doing that. And then on uh, Sunday or Monday, I can't remember which, I'm going to hop over to Haiti and meet up with our team. Uh, David is here this morning. He's going to be leading a team of 25 people that land in Haiti on Saturday. Is it Saturday? Yep, Saturday. And uh, they'll be there all week, uh, people from Mobile, Alabama, uh, folks from Nashville. Um, and we're going to go down there and check up on and invest in uh, the, the, what's happening. Again, another 120 families yesterday. It's over a th- like 1,000 people are being fed with the, the, the food that we have been able to send and, and buy there. So we're, we're just going to go down there and spend some time loving on them. And uh, would, just would appreciate your prayers as this week unfolds. And uh, David has just been gone for two weeks, just got back from Thailand. He's about to leave for another eight days. So if you get a chance to love on Jaina during the week as the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. Sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks to you through your uh, calendar. Um, so if you allow the Holy Spirit the opportunity to put a reminder in your phone, um, <laughs> it's amazing how he can remind you um, just to maybe buzz in on uh, and Jaina and the kids and, and how they're doing while he's gone yet again. Oh, the book of James. If you're visiting, uh, I don't know if you heard it, but we would love to get to know you and uh, there should be a card in front of you. You can just fill it out and put it in. There's a box in the back on your way out the door. You don't have to come down front or anything. Just put it in the box. And, and if you have any prayer requests, things that you want to be uh, people praying for you, we, uh, there's a place for that as well in that. So you're welcome to fill out that card and, and to, uh, uh, for prayer requests. And we will, we will make sure that people are praying for you this week. James chapter 5, verse 16. Just the last half of that verse. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. One more time. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Um, Lord, I ask for your wisdom today, for your Holy Spirit to speak uh, in spite of me and through me, and that you would uh, connect dots in our hearts today of, of, your, of your promises for us. You promised that your word would be a lamp and it would be a light, and today we... We take you at your word. It's in your name that we, we pray. Amen. <sighs> Any third graders in here? Who's in third grade? Stand up on your chair so we can see you. I want you to get a picture of this. Zoe, I, I should have given you a heads up. She did not care for the mask last night, and I apologize. I probably should have given her a heads up on that. Uh, okay, so here we go. Third graders. All right, you can sit down. I just wanted you to get a picture of this of how old I was when my brother took me fishing at the old Millrace Pond. The old Millrace Pond, it kind of brings back glassy flashbacks. And by the way, kids, just ask your parents later about uh, Lassie. I know last week we had Michael Bolton references, and all the kids were like, I don't know who that is. Uh, (laughs) 
This week it's Lassie. So anyway, the old mill race pond, every town, I don't know, did your towns have an old mill race pond? They were, they were ridiculously deep and they were full of rumors about, <laughs> right, the time where the, a scuba diver, for some reason, had to go to the base of the mill race pond to fix something. Did anybody else have this story in your town? For some reason, a scuba diver went down and they saw catfish the size of cars. Like, that's generally the way the rumor goes. They were like the scary clown of our day. Like, those are those rumors. <laughs> so my brother, Dale, who was in like fifth or sixth grade, who was in fifth grade, we were going, we went fishing with some buddies and we get out on the boat. It was a rowboat, like an old rickety rowboat. And I'm, I'm a little scared. I did not have the courage. And the boat was, and I'm like, ah, Dale, you know, so he, he, uh, because he's a good brother, dropped me off at third grade, just didn't take me back to the dock where the house was we came from, just dropped me off way on the other side of this pond where the boat was and said, hey, look, just get on those railroad tracks and go that way and you'll get back to, you'll find your way back. And that didn't work out. So I, I've wandered for a while the, uh, the wrong direction, clearly, and there was a point where I was literally so lost in third grade that I'm, I'm crying and I'm, and I'm praying, uh, God, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. <laughs> Which may be why I'm a pastor, the more I think about it. That might have been, huh, I didn't think about that. So I'm praying, I'm crying, and I finally, I come through this clearing in these woods that I'd found myself into, and and I see this little house off in the distance, and I'm running through the pasture, and I finally get to the door, and I knock on the door, and this nice little uh, lady answers the door, and uh, she was very surprised <laughs> to see me, because it was way, way out in the country, and she's like, oh, young man, come on in, you know, and she offers me an ice, I remember, an ice-cold Coca-Cola, um, and it was, it was the best Coca-Cola I've ever had in my entire life. It was a Coke commercial that never happened. Like, I'm just, I'm refreshed right now thinking about it. And so uh, she brings me inside, and she's helping me get the, the little sand, the little burrs. Because, you know, you run through a pasture, and you get all kinds of stuff stuck to you and in you. And I'm like, she's helping me get all the thistles and stuff out. And so she, uh, she loads me up in her uh, probably 1974 Oldsmobuick of some combination of thing. And, and she's, as she's driving me into town, she says, you know, it's really good that you came when you did. I was leaving in five minutes to get, get my hair fixed. Because uh, you know how it is in the Midwest. You don't get your hair done. You get it fixed because it's broken. So she goes, I guess, to the, to the repair shop. I don't know what you do with that. But she, she was going into town to get her hair fixed. And, uh, and she's getting it fixed at the little salon that was literally two houses down from where I lived in, in this little town. And so... She dropped me off there and wished me well, and I, I went in, and I was watching Scooby-Doo. I swear, I, I remember this like it was yesterday. Watching Scooby-Doo, and as I'm watching Scooby-Doo, the phone rings, and uh, it's my mother, uh, who is in an absolute sheer panic, because they have been looking all over for me. And I had no idea, of course. I, you know, and, of course, my brother's like, you tell him I'll kill you. You can't tell him. And, of course, I sold him right up the river. <laughs> Or up the mill race, as the case may be. So my point being, though, that like that day, I literally prayed a prayer, and God answered that prayer right in front of me. It happened again later in my life when I was 16, and I was in Guatemala, and I was lost. I guess there's a theme in my life. So I was lost in Guatemala City. It was like in a pretty sketch part of town, and 
it was just me and some other 16-year-olds, ain't never been nowhere. You know, we had wandered. We were supposed to go to this little restaurant, and we got turned around, and it's getting late, and the buses are st- they're going to stop running. They only run up to, I don't remember what it was, eight or nine, 10, who knows. But it was, it was super close to that. And, and we were really scared because it was not a good part of Guatemala City. And it was right after their civil war. And we were just, you know, we were dumb, like super dumb. And so we, I remember like um, we gathered in a circle and we held hands and we prayed. And we got done and someone said, hey, why don't we just, whatever the next bus is, we'll just take it. Because it's got to take us someplace better than here. Which is actually factually incorrect. In Guatemala City, that's not a guarantee. It could actually take you someplace worse than where you were. But we got on the bus, the next one that came along, and in the front row, sitting up very straight and tall with a little red jacket, was a man who was wearing the uniform of the hotel that we were staying at. Yeah, put that in your pipe and smoke it, right? He literally is sitting in there. And... So we get on the bus, and he could clearly tell. I knew just enough Spanish to get me in trouble. And he clearly knew we weren't where we were supposed to be. And this is, by the way, not a large hotel. Like, it wasn't like a big one with lots of people working at it. So we get on the bus, and he takes us to the, because there is a bus change. We would have had to have changed buses. And got on the last bus out. He knew the system because, he, you know, he worked there, and so he knew the system. So he gets us on the last bus out, and we pull in that night, and we are safe and sound. And we got up the next day, and we were going to thank that guy, and he wasn't there. We never saw him again. I don't know who he was. I have ideas. (laughs) But if I were to pass the microphone around, we could all tell stories of when God did crazy stuff when we prayed. And if I were to pass the microphone around... We could also tell stories of when it didn't happen the way that I thought it was going to happen when I prayed. And so when I see a passage like this, the way the enemy works in my life is he, he makes me focus on what's supposed to be this exhortation and encouragement. And I start focusing on these little things and take it more of like as a guilt trip because I'm not doing it right. And that's why my prayers weren't answered. That if I was more righteous, if I prayed more effectively, if I were more fervent, that, maybe that was the difference. Maybe that was the difference why I, like when I was in fifth grade and I broke my big toe. Who, who's in fifth grade? Right here, Ethan. I was your age, buddy. I kicked my older brother because we just, that's what boys do. You just literally <laughs> kick each other. But I, I was in bare feet and as it turns out, not a good idea. Uh, broke my big toe in half. Like the, the loud cracking kind of broke my toe. The dropped me, <laughs> crying kind of broke into my big toe. And, and a woman evangelist came through town and she prayed for me. I, I remember, I, you know, with things you remember when you're fifth grade, I remember she was double jointed in her legs because when she'd stand up and she had a skirt that was at knee length because she was the, uh, a Christian. And it, <laughs> she went to Bible college. And, and so she, but her legs bent backwards. And I can remember that almost like a, like a, like a dinosaur. It was like, I don't know how... <laughs> But you know, but she prayed for me. I faked the fall. Anybody ever faked the fall? The rest of you are lying, or you weren't charismatic. One of the two. And so I faked the fall, and my big toe was absolutely healed. I I got up off of the floor. I remember laying on the floor, consciously thinking, "Oh crap! My toe got healed. <laughs> that really worked. It worked." 
So we have those stories, and, but I think but when it didn't happen, when I prayed for my mom years later in 2008, and she was ill, and she went to be with Jesus and think, well, why didn't it work then? But with my big toe? Seriously, God? And again, you go back to, I remember someone telling me, well, you guys have to watch what you say. If you don't have enough faith, that could actually kill your mama. Because it's the righteous and fervent prayer. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and you, but that sounds gross when you hear it out loud, but it's how we treat ourselves. We don't maybe think about it that way. But we think, man, if I'm a righteous person, I mean, Billy Graham is a righteous person. Chuck Smith, I can get that. Like, I get why God would hear his prayer. I know why he'd listen to Guy Roberts. Like, I get that. But, but me, a right, you know. But he says here that a righteous person who prays effectively and fervently, that that prayer avails much. And in just the few minutes we have here, I want to offer you a gift this morning of freedom to understand that this passage isn't a condemnation. It is an exhortation. It isn't about trapping you. It's about freeing you. Because he says that a righteous person if, you, if you're not that, then you have to stop with that and say, well, I'm, I'm already host then because I, I sinned this morning. I sinned last night. I, but I think that it's because maybe, maybe we academically get it, but don't we forget what it really means to be righteous in, in this modern day, in what Jesus did for us after the cross? When was Abraham declared righteous? Romans 4, 3 tells us that he believed and it was counted unto him as righteousness. Not when he did anything, but when he believed, he was counted as righteous. Do you believe what Jesus did? Do you believe that he's who he said he was? Do, or do you have the centurion faith even where I believe, help me with my unbelief? Like that's enough to hold on. That belief is enough to make you and to make me Righteous. We tend to, I tend to make righteousness about what I do, not what a, about what he did. If I can do it better, then, I, then it kind of, uh, he already did it. Like, I can't do anything better than Jesus did. And so if I make it about what I do and not what he did, then I'm trying to declare myself, make myself righteous. And I kind of stink at it. My point being that when Paul said, in 2 Corinthians 5, that, when, that he who knew no sin became sin, that you might be declared righteous. When he said that, he meant it. When he said in 2 Corinthians, I think it's 5 again, uh, that if you believe that anyone who is in Christ, that old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new, that you and I aren't earning anything. It was imputed unto us. We are righteous. You just are. And it isn't about becoming more righteous. And to prove his point in verse 17, he says, consider Elijah. Now, again, we think, oh, man, I, well, I, I'm stuck because Elijah, he's kind of cool. Like, he, he rocked it. If you don't know who Elijah was, he came on the scene in 1 Kings 17. He came out of nowhere. We don't know anything about him. But 1 Kings 17, it says that Elijah, really the only thing we know about his history is that he was a Tishbite, which doesn't sound like a compliment. If you think about it, right? (laughs) Dude, you're such a Tishbite. (laughs) So he's a Tishbite, 
And that's kind of all we know. But we know that what James says was that he had passions just like you and like I. And that word passions is the word we just saw last week, just a few verses earlier, talking about the, the guy that was unrepentant and unregenerate and the, had wealth and he was serving his wealth. It says he's just spending it on his own passions. That's that word. And he's saying, look, Elijah, it's not about me being awesome and better like Elijah. It's a reminder that Elijah was just normal like us. And you see it because here's Elijah. He's, I mean, people being raised from the dead. He's calling down fire and it happens. And then he's hiding in a fetal position in a cave, weeping, oh, woe is me, I'm the only one left. Depressed and discouraged and full of anxiety and fear. He's just one of us. And the point being is that if it's about righteousness and not about me, then it's about what God did, what God does, not about me even praying properly. Not even about me praying good enough. Because then it puts the focus back on me, but when I put it on righteousness, then I can say, oh, no, even if I mess this prayer up, you ever feel that way? Like, I don't want to screw up this prayer and I don't want to. I love the imagery in scriptures of prayer being an incense, this sweet smell. It's almost like Jesus is sweetening up my stinky prayers. Like, tapping, God, hey, look, I know that this is what Darren is saying, but this is what he really means. Sweetening up our stinky prayers. He's, because we're righteous, just like Elijah We're going to have good days and we're going to have bad days. But our prayers have nothing to do with whether they're answered or not, have nothing to do with whether or not I'm righteous. If I believe in Jesus, then it's I am righteous. I don't have to debate that anymore. The argument is settled. Are we clear? It's like talking to my kids. Are we clear? (laughs) Crystal. So righteous, but then you're like, yeah, but okay, so I, I get it that I'm righteous, but he also says that it has to be an effective prayer. An effective prayer, if you look at Elijah, don't, don't you think that effective means I got to like pray long, like pray a lot, pray in quantity? I wanted to challenge you to go and find every time Jesus, when he rebuked a Pharisee for praying, it wasn't for praying too short. I have this, I don't know, the pressure to feel like if I, if it's, the microphone has been handed to the preacher. If you can sing, you got to sing happy birthday at everything, right? You're the, oh, look, Lucy, she can sing. Why don't you sing happy birthday? If you're the preacher, they're like, well, well, you pray because you're a pastor. So you have this, I got I to gotta pray, and I feel like I got to pray good, and I got to pray long because I you know, get their money's worth. And Because I make it, if you do that, I'm just making it about me and making it about my thing. And, and that isn't necessarily what an effective prayer is. Elijah, the, uh, the, the prophets of Baal, Elijah has been told by God to go and to challenge King Ahab and the prophets of Baal who had taken over Israel with wickedness and disgusting idol worship. And he is challenging them now to a, to a battle. To, to, you bring your sacrifice to the mountain and I'm going to bring mine and we're gonna, you'll call down fire from your God and I'll call down fire from mine. And whichever one brings fire, we'll know that that is God. This actually happened. So these prophets of Baal have got their sacrifice and they begin to dance around and flail and scream and holler. And it sounds a lot like prayer meetings that I have been a part of because I'm trying to make God do something if I'm just active enough. And at one point, Elijah starts to mock these prophets. 
and says at one point, this is actually in the Bible, maybe your God's just on the toilet and busy. Maybe he's just sitting on the can and can't get to you. That's truthfully what he's saying to them. And after a long period of time, no fire, no nothing, and Elijah, just to make it interesting, brings his sacrifice and brings barrel after barrel of water and digs a trench around it, surrounds it with water, and prays a really short prayer. But it was an effective prayer. Had nothing to do with the length of it. Had nothing to do with how well he had behaved that day. And everything to do with that God had declared him righteous because he had believed. And that now he calls down this fire and it, and it happened in a short prayer. When the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray in Luke chapter 11. I love it because they didn't say, hey, teach us to preach. They didn't say, teach us to cast out demons like you do. Teach us to raise the dead people like you. Teach us to pray. If you saw Jesus every day doing this stuff, what you also saw, what they would have known, John 18, when he went to Gethsemane, it says he went there often to pray. They knew that that was a regular part of Jesus' life was prayer. So teach us to pray. And he gives them a prayer. And he says, you could recite it right now, Father, which art in heaven, hell. You could, if, you, if you take your time, it's about a minute long. Effective prayer has nothing to do with the length of the prayer. I wonder if what Elijah prayed that day was maybe from the word because he would have known in Deuteronomy 11 that God had told the people of Israel, if you do this and you follow these, I will shut off the clouds. I will make it not rain. And there in 1 Kings chapter 17, when he goes to Ahab and says, it's going to not rain now for three and a half years, he could have said that confidently. We don't know. He doesn't say it in this, but in James' commentary, James 5.17 says he prayed earnestly about this, about the rain. I think one of the most effective prayers we can pray is when we pray the scriptures. We can say, okay, God, this is what your word says, so I'm just going to pray this today. Uh, you know a good tip for prayer that I've found to be super effective in my life is when you're sitting in here on a Sunday and you're getting a little drowsy because I can get a little boring and I get it, but you're getting drowsy. You're getting disconnected. But what if you're using this as opportunity for you to pray as well? What if you just read James 5, 16, and God said something to you that I didn't say, but it's absolutely an opportunity for you to say, oh, God, that just hit me differently. What are you saying to me? Write it down and engage with the Lord in your prayers. It's a beautiful way to pray. When you're reading your Bible, when you're in your devotion and you're trying to get through, because we're, uh, we're in, where are we, uh, almost November, so you're probably getting close to the end of the Old Testament on your one-year Bible plan. And what if today, the one-year Bible plan, God spoke to you something in the second verse and you camped out on that, and God, what are you telling me here? And maybe you don't even get to the end of your plan, but you, God got into your heart because you're now having a two-way street of conversation, of prayer, effective prayer, with you engaging with the Lord. Effective prayer, praying the scriptures, praying simply. And you, but Darren, he also does say fervent. You can't throw that out, and that's true. You can't. You see, there came a time in Elijah's life where the fire had been called down. And he told this king now, it was the end of the three and a half years, and he's saying now, I'm going to make it rain now. 
Now keep in mind, this is Elijah. People be, be like raised from the dead kind of dude. This is Elijah where he prayed fire and it came down. So he says to Ahab, okay, it's three and a half years. We've killed all the prophets and the false gods in this. So now it's going to rain. So he says, look to the sky. It's going to rain. Ta-da. And nothing. A little awkward. Because Ahab might kill him. It says that he put his head between his legs and prayed. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that's called the crash position. Yes, the crash position. If you've been on a plane, they tell you if you're going down, put your head between your legs wasn't it Smokey and the Bandit that finished that? Anyway, but <laughs> Google that too. Um, he's in the crash position. Now, most likely what it was was this was a position that uh, Hebrew women would have assumed for birth. Um, don't know how that works exactly, but he's got his head between his legs, and it says that he looked up again, and he said to his servant, do you see anything? No, nothing. This guy is still clear as can be. So he puts his head down again and he prays again. Again. Five, six, seven times. It doesn't say how long. This could have been days or weeks. We don't know. But what we do know is that call down fire and it didn't come. Or it did come. As now it's going to rain and it didn't. And so he is praying fervently. And I want to bring this up because I think that it's pervasive in Christian culture that we almost have this feeling that if I, that, that God is, ha- he has a blessing biscuit. That if, like, you, if you guys trained your dog to speak, right, speak, and you give him a little biscuit, roll over, you get a biscuit. That if I roll, you know, and you know, once your dog knows this, you walk in, they'll just start rolling over, play dead, bark, whatever, just whatever it takes to get the biscuit. If you haven't trained them well, which that's usually our story. Shake, whatever, high five. <laughs> the idea of prayer, that it's like God is withholding some blessing biscuit from me, and if I'm just begging him enough, that he'll give it to me. Now, if you're astute, you know that I referred what the disciples said in Luke 11, teach us to pray, and he taught them the Lord's Prayer. And then the very next thing he talks about is a, a man that went on a, a journey, and there was a, a, a father and his children who were sleeping at home, and the guy comes, and he starts knocking on the door. It's late, and he needs food, and he's knocking, and he's knocking, and he keeps knocking. And, and the passage is about, in this guy, when he's knocking, if he knocks long enough, he'll finally annoy the guy enough to get him out of bed, and he'll give him some bread. And for years I read that as, well, that's what we got to do. That's, you know, that's fervent prayer. I just beg and beg and beg and beg and knock and knock and knock and knock. And finally, until I remembered, where were the children? They were in bed with dad. And if you are a child of God, you have made co-heirs with Jesus. You're Jesus' brother in this economy. You're not outside begging. You're in bed with dad. And if you're hungry, Ethan, if you're hungry at our house, what do you do? 
You just get food. You don't go knock on the front door and ask, can you go to the pantry, right? No, I've never heard you do that. I'll hear you rustling around in the pantry. <laughs> get home from school, what do you do? You throw up some of those uh, little uh, bagel bites. Because it's part of the package. My point is, is this, is that God isn't withholding. Your fervent prayer is not about you begging to get something that God has already given you. A fervent prayer is not about a result. It's about a relationship. You see, God probably knew what was coming down the pipeline for Elijah. Because there was another storm coming. A storm of depression. A storm of darkness. And it came just like many times depression comes in our life after a huge victory, a huge win. Elijah is depressed and he says, it's nobody left but me. Just, he actually says this in 1 Kings 19, just, 19, just kill me. Take me now. And some of you, maybe even today, you walked in here and you felt that. Just take me. It's not worth living anymore. Elijah was a man just like you, a woman just like you. He felt it as well. And I found something interesting in this because Elijah, it says in 19 that he was headed to Beersheba. Beersheba in the book of Genesis and Joshua over and over throughout the Old Testament, that place was a place of submission, of relationship, of covenant. There were seven wells drilled there and one of them was where Jacob saw a stairway to heaven. And this was a place of submission, of relationship and covenant with God. And he gets to Beersheba to the place of Jesus, to the place of the cross. And it says he left his servant and he kept going. Because that's what I do. I look at the cross as the starting point, not the point. Like I've got to the cross and now I'm forgiven, and now, but then I've got to keep doing, 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 doing. Like God just gave us a whole brand. He just traded in a new set of rules and regulations in exchange for an old set of rules and regulations. That's not at all what he did. He kept going. And his prayer was, God, I did this for you. I did that. And this is all I've got. And isn't that what we feel? I did this and I did that. And it says that what did God do? That he chewed him out? No. It says that he refreshed him and he loved on him and cared for him and fed him and said, this journey is going to be a long one. You're going to need your strength. (laughs) And then Elijah gets up from a father that loves him and a God that cared for him. And it says that he traveled not back to Beersheba to the place of covenant and of love, but he went to Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb is the place where the Ten Commandments were given. It's where the law was dropped on them. Because if I can just do it a little bit better this time. Isn't that the lie that I can't pray now? What I just did, oh man, I am so embarrassed. And we believe the lie And like Adam, we go and hide instead of running to the Father. Adam didn't go seeking the Father. The Father came and sought him. What a great strategy if you're Satan. I can get him to botch this, and then I'll divide the entire relationship with them. And so Elijah goes to Mount Horeb and has a horrible experience. I've been waiting for that one all day. 
Because it says that the earth shook, but God wasn't in the earthquake. The wind blew, and God wasn't in the wind. But he came in the form of a still, small voice and loved on him. And I think today that, and I'm not talking about clinical depression. Understand that I understand that there are differences. But I think that sometimes the depression that we feel is because I'm not doing this good enough. That I have messed this up so bad that I am all alone. Because what does sin really do? If we let it, it'll isolate us. Because what did God tell Elijah? You're not alone. There's 7,000 other people that haven't bowed. You're okay. Get up from there and go. And I hope that today, as we leave, that if you have been falling into the trap of, I haven't really been praying at all because I'm not righteous, that you will reject it for the lie that it is. And you think, I got into prayer, and I don't even know what to say. I can't pray good enough. So I don't, maybe I don't pray at all. Or just as bad, I am praying, but I stink at it so much that a God can't possibly because it's not effective. And I haven't been fervent enough with it. Do we reject all of that for what it is, which is a lie from Satan? And remember that as a righteous man and a righteous woman, you're not outside knocking and begging and waiting for a mean old God to open the door. You are inside with the children. And you might say, yeah, but Darren... I noticed you skipped the part that your mom died. You didn't get what he asked. So how did that prayer avail much? Notice what he didn't say. That the righteous person, your your effective and your fervent prayer will get answered. If you're a kid and I say, hey, what if, if your mom and dad give you everything you want? If your mom, you get home, anything you want today that you get it. Isn't that great news? Right? I can have whatever I want. If you're a kid, that's like heaven. Whatever I want. Except that it's not. And your parents know that. Because it turns us into spoiled and petulant. And If I get everything that I want from God, it just turns me into a spoiled, rotten little child. The thing is, is that there's a reason why sometimes you can have candy and sometimes you can't. Now, when you're three, that doesn't make any sense. Sometimes the miracle comes and sometimes it didn't. The big toe was healed, but my mom wasn't. But he didn't say I would get what I asked for. He said that it would bring great power, that it would avail much. The word is whole. It's like avail much when it's translated in other places in Scripture is about holistic. That it, Literally, it is powerful while it is working. When Lazarus was raised... From the dead, right before that, it's recorded that Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. And I've heard it, we don't know. I've heard it said maybe he was weeping because he was feeling the pain of the disciples and that whatever, Mary and Martha. But what if, maybe, what if Jesus uniquely understood what Lazarus was leaving behind like nobody else because Jesus had actually been there and he knew if you're Lazarus going, Dad, gummit, I just got here. And I got to go back to that stank hole? Jesus wept, maybe because he knew what Lazarus was leaving behind. 
The prayer was answered that day for Lazarus, but for my mom, do you think for a minute, eight years later, that she is bummed? No, because you know why a righteous person prayed effectively and fervently? I didn't say eloquently. I probably used my emergency language. But it availed much because it was working in every nook and every cranny of my heart, every nook and cranny of my family's hearts, and my mother stepping into eternity. And that availed much. Your prayer as a righteous person, your effective prayer, your fervent prayer, you may not get what you asked for, but you will get what you need when it's seeking a relationship, not a result. And this is so important for our nation right now. Don't we need prayer? Oh, man. We, the church needs to be praying fervently and effectively as righteous people, knowing that the result we ask for might not be the one that we asked for, but knowing that nevertheless that our prayer will avail much. God always gives his best to those who leave the choice up to him. So next week as we gather together in our small groups in Conduit Underground, I know how we think. I know how I think. That's not actually real church. That's Lake Day. And I'm going to give you permission and say, look, I'm going to challenge you and say, I'm not saying you can't go to the lake. Just go the next week. If you're going to, if I, if you're going to I'd rather you not skip either. But if you're going to skip one, I dare you to not skip Conduit Underground next week. And skip the next week. It'll be noted on your, per, you know, your record and it'll be excused absence, whatever. But <laughs> we don't have records. <laughs> but James Boyd, if you would come and talk to us in just a few minutes we have here about what we're doing with Conduit Underground. But part of what I feel in my heart is as we gather next week that we're going to be gathering to pray. To pray what he says, pray for each other. To confess to each other, be vulnerable with each other. And to pray for our country, to pray for healing, to pray together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're two or three are gathered in his name. There he will be in the midst of us. Absolutely. And that's one of our goals with the Conduit Underground is to help people connect. Because it's easy to just show up on a Sunday morning, spectate, maybe mildly participate, and then leave. And so this is your opportunity to meet some people from around here and spend time in God's word, spend time in prayer, do a little singing, do some uh, praying for the secret church all over the world, uh, and then share a meal together. Uh, we really look forward to this event. It's one of our, the highlights on our calendar year. And so we hope that you'll join us. In, even if you haven't signed up yet, we can still get you into a group. So we won't meet here next week. Next week we will meet in uh, 13 different locations around the Franklin Spring Hill area, and we're excited about uh, Underground and hope that you'll join us uh, and participate in this event. You'll get to meet some great people. Um, they've all been vetted. They've all had their shots, so um, you don't have to worry about that. Don't make any and, sudden uh, movements. Yeah. yeah um, and so if you would like to register for uh, that event, um, you can come see me up here, and if you register, you will get this lovely parting gift. Um, it's a book called The Insanity of God, which is an amazing documentary uh, that we're actually planning on showing here um, in the you know, months to come. It's f just amazing stories all over the world of God and his children and the things that uh, happen uh, when, when people come together and our family in, in the name of Jesus. So uh, come see me and uh, we'll, we'll get you all signed up and we'll get you assigned to a location and uh, your leaders will be in touch with you. Introverts, look at me. I know this is terrifying. 
There's a reason I don't make everybody stand up and turn around and greet your neighbors, okay? We are introvert-friendly here, right? Isn't that like your nightmare? Oh, i got to meet people. I dare you to push past that fear and go sit in a group. Maybe you don't know anybody for the cause of Christ to sacrifice that. I know. I'd rather claw my own eyes out, okay, than do that. I get it. But if you sign up, I, pr- I promise you that Jesus will meet you next week in these groups. We'll, uh, we'll have an underground group meeting in Haiti that week. I'll be in the Dominican that week. And Jesus will have his way, and Jesus will do amazing and powerful things, and I won't even preach a word, and it'll be just as amazing because God is way bigger than any one person. So would you stand and let's pray. I am honored to get to serve this family of believers. This is what it feels like to be Don. <laughs> I just realized that. <laughs> Father, we pray for you to keep us this week, that we would pray effectively, we would pray fervently, not as a friend outside begging to get in, but as a son and a daughter who are already inside. Lord, for me, that it's not a, prayer this week about a result, but that is more of a relationship, that my fervency is because it keeps me bringing back, bringing me back to you into relationship with you. And maybe this week some of us need to put our heads between our legs in the crash position, knowing that what it really does is allow us to know what's important in our lives, that it's about relationships and not results. Oh, thank you for that, God. Thank you for not giving me everything I ever wanted. Pray that we'll be effective and fervent and stand as the righteous people that we are. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Love you.